everyone. Welcome back to the Crucial Talks podcast. I'm your host, Mike Saddam. In every episode, we talk about some facet of human behavior, like communication, teamwork, or leadership. We've talked a lot about how the roles people choose to play in their lives and how people assign behaviors to these roles is what guides their actions. We've also discussed how people are social storytelling animals, and we pass information on through these stories. In today's episode, we get to talk about the role that leaders play. We might even get to talk a little bit about the prototypes people use to decide what behaviors they're going to assign to the roles we play. Today, we have a special guest that has written a book called Tighten the Lug Nuts. Rather than tell you what the book is about, I'd like to introduce you to the author, Rocky Romanella. Hey, Rocky, can you tell us who you wrote this book for? Hey, Mike, how are you? It's a pleasure uh, being on your show with you and your audience, and I look forward to our conversation. I wrote this book for leaders. But for me, leadership goes well beyond the obvious. You know, people think that leaders and leadership is about someone with a title, you know, you know captain or CEO or, or, you know, supervisor, manager. I believe that we're all leaders in, at one time or another. So I wrote this book with the concept of we're all leaders. We may not view ourselves that way sometimes, but we're all leaders at one, at one time or another. Well, and I think that makes sense to a lot of the listeners because one of the things we talk about are, is this idea of a prototype, which is basically a model of behavior, and that's based on these roles that we play. So when we're talking about leadership and the behaviors that we see, if you had to pick a central message from your book, what do you think that would be? Well, for me, it's about legacy, right? And legacy is this concept of you leave things a little better than you found them. Are people better because of their time with you, right? Are your customers better if you're in a business because they've interacted with your company? Are your other stakeholders or shareholders, are they better because you're running the business? And so for me, this thought process, this concept of leadership and then legacy, do I leave things a little better than I found it? A quick example I would give you and how I tie that together with the, the thought of leadership is, as I said before, Mike, I mean, I think sometimes people get hung up on titles. But I'll give you the greatest, you know, title I've ever had, which isn't CEO, isn't, uh, you know, isn't manager, supervisor, board member. It's grandpa. So for me today, that title is the greatest one I carry. But in life, if you think about leaders, to me, there are no greater leaders than teachers, right? Because if today you and I were standing in front of a group of people and we said, okay, who's your state senator or who's your state representative or, you know, who's the person that, you know, kind of running your town or who's the people board of ed? Most people couldn't tell you that. But if we said, if I asked the question, who's that teacher that made a difference in your life? Everybody stops, tilts their head and, oh, Mr. So-and-so fifth grader, Miss So-and-so fourth grade. So everybody has that teacher who makes it, who made a difference in their life. And if you think about legacy, leaving things a little better than you found them, then no one does that better than a teacher because of that influence. And so for me, that's how I believe, that's why I believe I should say that leadership is more than a name or a title or, or a position that we're all accustomed to. It's about you leave things a little better than you found it. It's that legacy that you leave. Well, and I think what you said about that title of grandfather or that role you play as grandfather and then bringing in the teachers, when we're talking about a legacy that people leave, what do you actually mean by, by legacy? Uh, is that something that you carry on or does it carry on long after you're gone? I think it's a little bit of both, right? So I think you carry it on in the way you conduct yourself, in the way you treat your people with dignity and respect. It's, 
it's those kinds of individuals that, you know, let's face it, you've worked for a lot of people. You've served under a lot of different people. There's people that you would say to yourself, okay, I've learned from everyone, but knowing what I know today, I'm probably not going to be too much like that. And then there's people you, you would say, you know what? I didn't always agree with that individual, but you know what? I would work for them again. I would serve with them again. I would, you know, I have respect for them as a, as a leader. And I think that's that, that's that legacy that lives with you. But long after you're gone, it's what people would think back and they say, you know what? I didn't realize it at the time, but today I'm a lot like so-and-so. I think about that all the time. I work for a couple of different people throughout my career. And I think about some of the people who have the largest impact on me and they weren't like me. I mean, they didn't, maybe didn't have my personality or the, my approach to things. But I think about how I ask questions or the things I do. And I think to myself, wow, that individual had a lot of, uh, you know, had, you know, had a, a lot of you know, uh, influence on me. And, and I didn't realize it at the time. Because I think sometimes we get hung up with, are we similar in our styles? And it's not about the style. It's about the approach. It's about how you interact with people. It's, a, it's about the way you allow your people to feel good about themselves and, and, and allow them to have successes. And I think, so that legacy lives on long after you've maybe retired or, uh, you know, moved on to the greener pastures to the giant, you know, I say, I always say my dad, rest his soul, has passed away, is sitting at the giant kitchen table up there with, the rest of the family members, it's, it's long after you move on to that giant kitchen table, people, it's how they think about you and the things that you taught them and, and the things that they have those moments where they tilt their head and say, yeah, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm a lot more like, you know, Mike and Rocky than I ever thought I would be. Yeah, that makes complete sense because one of the things we do talk about is this, this idea of these different roles we play, whether you're playing as a, your role as a grandfather or your role as a speaker, your role as an author or as your role as a teacher, that these roles all have behaviors with them. And to assign these behaviors, we do look to these models of behavior, people we could look to, or even create in our own mind what that looks like. So I think that fits perfectly with some of the other topics we've talked about. Now, this idea of legacy, I know in your book you talked a, a little bit about a vision and mission and values. How does that apply to this idea of legacy and this idea of the role of the leader in trying to get Trying to trying to leave this legacy, trying to leave something better than they found it. I think it starts with asking yourself three key questions, and you know, obviously today, you know, I think about these more in a, in a more formal sense. But I, but when I look back, it, it was the way my dad raised us, and I think the things I learned from some people I really respected and I saw be very successful. And for me, it's about three key questions. And I tell people all the time, as you're beginning a new business or you're beginning your career, you really have to ask yourself three questions. Who am I? What do I stand for? And what won't I compromise? And it's the same with the business. You know, okay, who, who are we as a business? What do we stand for? And what won't we compromise? And, and it's interesting, Mike, that question one and question two, as you do that inventory, are are questions that you answer, you answer you know, quickly, effectively, you know, I, who am I, you know, what, what do I stand for? The question number three, though, is the significant one, because you will be challenged along the way, whether it's on, on your, in your personal life or in your business life or in a company. You know, think about today, you, you can't watch TV anymore without a commercial from Wells Fargo talking about, you know, how we started you know, we let you down and now here we are again, we're reinventing ourselves, we're a new company again. So if you and I walked through a business and walked through a Wells Fargo 
you know, office, I'm sure there's posters all over about our mission statement, our values, who we are as Wells Fargo. But somewhere along the way, number three was compromised. And so once number three gets compromised, and it's the same in business or same in your personal life. You know, think about as a leader, you say, look, I'm going to have, you know, I know who I am. I know what I stand for. Okay, what won't I compromise? My values, my integrity and safety. So I, you know, people are pulling out today and, you know, in a vehicle and they don't have their seatbelt on and I don't stop them and say, hey, you know what, you got to get your seatbelt on. That simple act of not silently sanctioning bad behavior, it really stands to the answer to that question number three, won't, won't I compromise? And the minute you do that compromise, you lose, you lose people's respect. You no longer can say that, hey, safety is a core value with me. There's nothing more important for me than safety. I'm not allowed to silently sanction bad behavior. And it's simple things like that that really make the difference. So that statement about uh, do it as I say, not as I do, doesn't really, doesn't really hold water in your opinion. Oh, absolutely not. In <laughs> fact, that, that's what gets most people. So I tell people all the time, I had one time, one time I was asked, you know, hey, did you ever think about being on, on the cover boss, you know? And, you know, and I politely declined. And, and, and for me, I could never be on that because to me, I would be disappointed and, and upset with myself that I could walk around around someplace. Now it's a great show. People love us. God bless them. But for me, I would be disappointed that nobody knew who you know, I want to be cheers. Everybody knows your name. <laughs> you know, you know, and I think that that's a problem when as a leader, you know, think about that. I mean, you're walking around, you have to get up and walk, you have to walk the talk, but you have to be prepared. And I think, you know, the question you just asked me, I'm a little bit long winded. I apologize, but the question you asked is so important. I ha- when I get up from my desk and then I say, Hey, I'm going to go take a walk. Now I have to, be prepared to address the situations that I see. If I walk past them, if I silently sanction bad behavior, I just made that a worse situation, right? Because now people say, well, Rocky was here. He saw me not wear a seatbelt or he saw me running from point A to point B. You know, I wasn't following all the you know, safety of the OSHA regulations or, or the Smith driving habits. Therefore, he sanctioned my bad behavior. It must be okay. Yeah. And again, uh, you are not long-winded at all because everything you're saying, I think, holds value for what people that listen to this podcast are trying to gain. And basically it's this understanding of human behavior. And one of the things we have talked about is, Hey, it doesn't really matter what your policy says or what that poster on a wall says. What matters are those behaviors that actually go along with what you're supposed to be doing. And that's exactly, I think uh, what you're talking about. Well, I, I, yes, I agree with you a hundred percent. I think so. You know, I, I think what happens is, is that we get we get confused, Mike, between this concept of communication and education. Right. So, you know, companies have great communication and, you know, there's posters, there's well written, you know, there's all social media and everything is well done. The difference between communication and education is accountability. Right. So if, if I'm if I'm in a classroom and I'm giving you all the facts about George Washington but I don't test you. I, I really just communicated to you all the things about George Washington. But I, I know it's education when I give you a test and there's accountability. And did you learn all the things I taught you about George Washington? Well, it's the same in business, right? We communicate, to your point, there's posters, there's, you know, there's morning meetings you know, with, with, with your people. But what's the, what's the accountability, right? That when they when they're leaving, are they doing the things you've asked them to do? Do you have that quick, simple conversation? Hey, how did it go today, Mike? Did this, this, and this happen? You know, there's the accountability is what moves it from communication to education, and I believe that's one of the 
you know, skills of, of, a, of a leader is to be able to educate, have that light bulb go off, get your people to connect the dots, have those aha moments. And now I want to go back to these three key questions, which I think are really valuable. You said uh, you got to ask yourself, who am I? What do I stand for? What won't I compromise? And you also said, hey, we could apply these to our, our organizations. And so in this podcast, we've talked about this notion of a, of a superordinate goal, which is this powerful way to get people to work together. And basically, it means that people that belong to these different groups, workers, supervisors, managers, maintainers, operators, they may have different responsibilities, but they can all work well together and reach toward a common goal if they have this goal that is bigger than themselves. So do you see any correlation between what you've written in your book and this need for people to get behind something they believe in? Oh, absolutely. So in my book, I talk about this concept of balanced leadership. And for me, this concept evolved because I felt like things just always seem to go from one extreme to the other. You know, uh, years ago, I'm showing my age now, there was a, a great basketball team at a you know UNLV, the Running Rebels, right? And they would win a game of... They would play a game, I should say, and, you know, they'd score 150 points, but the other team would score 151. And so you think to yourself, that's great, but you lost the game because you play no defense. So, you know, and so there's the ability to play both offense and defense, understand your role and understand kind of the game plan and what, what, what part you play in that. And so extremes to me were never good. And so I, I found that we were either very focused on a customer, which is great, or we're very focused on the bottom line, right? And for me, it always came down to, but someone has to execute this on behalf of our organization. And so I began this thought process of balanced leadership where you think like a customer, make sure your people feel like valued individuals and you act like an owner in all your decisions. And so I felt like my perfect, my, one of my examples would be is, you know, someone, you know, would show up at our, you know, staff meeting with a new product and every, you know, the marketing people, the sales people are all excited about the product. It fits a niche. They did their market analysis. They've got good pricing and they, they believe this will serve the marketplace well. And of course, the CFO, he or she's sitting there banging out on a calculator, Mike, explaining to you how it's going to make a profit. It's got great margins. Great thing. Great, great. It's really good for our organization. And then I would ask the question, well, how about our people? They have to execute this product on behalf of our organization. Does it fit our brand? Does it fit our brand promise? If there's a disconnect, how do we solve it? And from that point forward, I, I realized that in all my conversations, it had to be customers, people, and stakeholders. And it could be, you know, what's the safety regulations that go with this product? You know, what won't we compromise in this product? And most times it was going to be safety. You know, we were, you know, can we get it out? Can we get the product to market safely and effectively? Uh, do we, you know, is it going to be a situation where we're so rushed to get it out that our people are working long, hard hours and there's really no life work-life balance and they may put themselves in harm way? So th- there was always that question of all three imbalance. And I think that when you think about it from that perspective, then you, you understand that, hey, we're all in this together. I just have a different role. I used to tell people all the time, when I, when I took on the role of CEO, that my, my title stood for chief enthusiasm officer, that no one was more important than the person on the front line executing the product and executing the brand promise. So my role was to have maybe a little bit more vision, to work on some strategy, but my role wasn't to run the day-to-day because they're the best people to run the day-to-day. My role was to support, help. We all have roles. No one's more important than the next we just have to understand what our role, what our roles and responsibilities are and what role we play kind of in putting this whole puzzle together. So your book is called Tighten the Lug Nuts, 
the principles to balance leadership. And we just went through those three principles, customers. And I think you say, always think like a customer and then people. Like a customer. Feel like and, a valued individual. Okay. Feel like a valued individual. And then this, this concept of, of shared ownership. Yeah. Act like an owner. So for me, it always got down to, so Mike, you presented to what's you say, we I used to run a once a month, you know, a business development meeting, growth council, I used to call it. And what's you say you brought forward a, a, a new concept or a new idea for new revenue. And you went through, you know, all the analytics and you covered, you covered the people well, and you covered the, the, the profitability potentially you covered, you know, the product. And then at the end, I would look at you and say, well, that, okay, Mike, that's all good. But if you own this candy store, if this was your business, if the check do this was coming out of your personal account, would you do it? And it would be interesting to watch people's faces because more times than I thought, people would say, well, wait a minute, if I was writing a check, I'm not sure I'd do it. And so this concept of acting like an owner, if this was your candy store, would you do this project? And so for me, that was always the last question I would ask someone when they were presenting a new idea, a new strategy, uh, you know, some new monies they wanted us to spend. It wasn't that I didn't want to spend the money. I just wanted to know, you know, where they bought in 100 percent. Did they think, think through this? If this was their store, would they do it? Gotcha. Would they risk it on their own? Yes. Yes. That's a be- Thank you. That's a better way of saying it. Well, okay, so that's that third principle. Now, I do, if we can go back to that first principle, I kind of like that one. So your first principle is to think like a customer. Now, if you're if you're trying to put yourselves in the shoes of the customer, why do you, in your book, put the majority of your stock into the customer, th- this idea of thinking like a customer? Well, you know, so it sort of sounds counterintuitive, right? Because I, I talk about balance and balance leadership. But, you know, so... I swing a little bit more towards the customer because a revenue is the life of an organization. But for me, I believe that customers are both external and internal. And so the external customer is sometimes the obvious customer, right? But for me, the internal customer, how everyone interacts with each other, you know, so that there's not these silos being built up inside organizations. And so you have an internal customer as well. And so for example, you know, Mike, if you're the operations manager and I'm the, you know, finance and accounting manager, and you send me an email and say, hey, Rocky, I, you know, need this to get taken care of, or I need this appropriation to get signed. And I, I never respond back to you. Well, that's an internal customer that, you know, I'm not taking care of. And so th- my responsibility would be to take care of you as the internal customer. And so we have to have a relationship as an internal customer, as well as that external customer. So I, I weigh myself more towards customer because I believe, A, there's a revenue piece there that the lifeblood of an organization, but B, I think it's the internal customer as well as the external customer. So what you're talking about is leaders considering ways they can serve others, uh, the people they're supposed to serve. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I never talk about people who worked for me. I always say people in my care. I believe as a leader, you know, the people in your organization are in your care. And part of your responsibility is to place them in a position to be successful. Great. And that that idea of caring is something I think is important, especially on this podcast, because we constantly talk about this idea of human behavior and people need esteem. They need to feel safe. They need to feel trust. And, they, and all these things are about feelings. And we've we've talked about this idea of putting on the lens of someone else as a way to try to understand their point of view and develop empathy for that other person's feelings. 
Is that kind of what you're talking about when you're talking about looking through the lens of a customer, thinking like a customer? Yes, exactly. Uh, and I think that same thing can happen for you as a leader as well. My example to you would be quickly is that, uh, so I learned this growing up through my UPS career. You know, in the early days of UPS, when I first started, I started as a part-timer on loading trailers, and then I became a driver. So in those days, you all, we all had to drive, whether you were going back into supervision or taking on some other role or responsibility. And to me, that was a tremendous opportunity. I enjoyed doing it, but it gave me that credibility that I was willing to work a mile, walk a mile in the shoes of my peers and learn the most important job at UPS, which is delivering packages. Later on, though, as I took on new responsibilities in UPS, so for example, we purchased mailboxes, et cetera, and rebranded to the UPS store. And I had that as a direct report. Well, one of the first things I did was go spend a day inside a UPS store. Let me understand what goes on here. Let me put an apron on. Later on, we, we purchased over 20 companies to build UPS supply chain solutions, uh, which is a logistics company we built through those acquisitions. And I had this side the world for UPS. And one of the first things I did was to go spend a day in a warehouse. Show me how we pick orders. Let me pick an order. I believe that that's that learn that empathy and it's a sign of respect that you're you're handling our brand on behalf of our organization and i don't want you to think that i that my role as whatever it was at that time you know division manager manager president ceo was more important than what you're doing because nothing's more important than what you're doing because you're interacting with the customer so for me the empathy was and the ability to listen but also to show my respect by taking the time to go out there Later on, when I became CEO at Unitech, we were climbing towers, upgrading cell towers. And so I went out to a climbing school to understand what it takes to be a climber. And then I'd never climbed, but I, and, and certainly, you know, I wouldn't have had the skill set to do that or the safety requirements to do it. But I wanted to go spend a day in a climbing school to really understand what it takes to be a climber and understand that. And then go out and, and I would go out and spend a day on a site and, hey, show me what you do. How do you do it? Wow, this is impressive. I think that ability, one, you have to want to do that and you have to make the time to do that. But I think your people look at you and they realize that you're not going to be that expert. But they they take a step back and say, I appreciate the fact that you're willing to at least take the time to understand what it is that I do. Yeah, and I think that makes perfect sense and is an absolute truth to what leaders should be doing is understanding what their folks are doing, having that level of empathy that you're talking about. And so if we can go back really quick to to your background, it sounds like you worked your way up all the way from the bottom of UPS to pretty much the top, then became a CEO of a telecommunications company. Yes, yes, Mike. Well, you know what? I, I tell you what, I was, uh, was going to college, uh, St. John's University. It was a commuter college and working my way through school to pay for school. So I was working at UPS at the time, and it's funny, I went to college to be a high school history teacher and a baseball coach, and that was my goal. And as I started to uh, work with different people, to me, it became clear to me that the best leaders and the best supervisors and managers were those individuals who really took the time to work with their people, explain things to their people, and kind of connect the dots. So I never gave up on my passion to be a teacher. My classroom was in a business setting versus being in a traditional classroom. So I never felt like I gave up my, my teaching desires and goals. But And so I, I worked my way up through UPS. UPS had a promotion from within policy that I took advantage of. And my dad told me two things that have stuck with me my whole life and career and I think were so important in my growth and development. 
as I was getting the job at UPS, I sat down with him. I, you know, he said, tell me about the company. And he said to me two things that stuck with me, Mike. The first thing he said is, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. And then learn your job and learn some more. And so whenever an opportunity was presented to me, I, I may not have thought I was ready or I might have been a little bit concerned or, or you know, I didn't have the confidence. But I remember my dad saying, hey, whatever they ask you to do, say yes and thank you. So whatever they would say, hey, we got this opportunity for you in Chicago. Okay. I mean, I could hear my dad. And one of the things I learned that's so important for leaders today, and I think it's so important to talk about with your audience, is that's that I recognized that there was a point in time that UPS believed in Rocky Romanello well in advance of Rocky believing in himself. And so for me, I recognize that it's important for leaders to believe in their people until they're ready to believe in themselves. And then you sort of get to that kind of break even point where you're starting to believe in yourself and your leaders, your, your mentor, leader, coaches, lead, believing in you. And then at some point you just take off and that's when you don't need to be over managed anymore or micromanaged. That's when you need to get the pay, keep it up, you need help call me, keep doing a good job. And so I believe one of the core, core strengths of great leadership and development of your people is you may need to believe in them or you will have to probably believe in them until they're ready to believe in themselves. And you, you kind of infuse that confidence that they need to take on that new responsibility. And then as I worked my way up through UPS, I took on different responsibilities, different assignments. I retired natural uh, age of 55. I had 36 years. So I moved on. I got an opportunity, was recruited to be a CEO of uh, Unitech, a telecom company. Uh, we sold that. So uh, I guess I retired again. I guess that's what I'm not good at here, Mike. I'm failing on the, at this retirement <laughs> thing. And then uh, I started this uh, small company, uh, 360 Management Services. We have three legs of our stool. One of is public speaking, which I enjoy doing. Uh, we have a leadership training. Uh, we have some great people in our organization with many years of experience that we, we do classes on uh, you know, frontline supervisors. But we also do things on difficult conversations, why values matter, uh, obsessed with the front line, uh, workshops like that. And then uh, we have a consulting business that we really work with companies that are looking to do process improvement. Well, it's so, so here's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like you started from the bottom. You transitioned your way basically all the way to the top. You transitioned into a different role, started another company. And so this, I think, I want to hit on this really quick. I know we're getting short on time. But one of the things that we talk about here on the Crucial Talks podcast is how people behave based on categories they assign themselves to or based on these roles that they adopt. And in other words, as we kind of evolve in our lives, we can transition into different roles and we learn the behaviors that go with those roles. Did you see this happening as you went from loading packages all the way up through different levels in UPS and then ultimately serving as a CEO of a telecom company and then ultimately starting a, a kind of a completely separate type of company. Well, I, I, th I think it starts with your foundation of, of who you are. And so I believe that, you know, I never believed that was more important than anyone else. I, you know, my dad always told me it was, it was, you had to bring hard work and enthusiasm, right? And if you, if you had hard work without enthusiasm, it would just be that hard work. And so, you know, you, you know, you had to bring that enthusiasm and, and, and bring that energy level. And as you grew inside of organizations or you started to take on more responsibility, I think the mistake that people make often and, and one that I always tried to guard against, and I wasn't perfect. I probably had my moments where, you know, someone had to put their arm around me, which I know they did. And they walked me around the building and say, hey, kid, you know, you know, yeah, maybe you have to look about this differently. But the key for me was always to understand that it's not about you. It's about your people. 
And the minute you start to make it about yourself is when you start to lose your, your vision and you start to lose your people, right? Because how many times have we sat in a meeting or worked for somebody and you know they're saying things like, oh, you don't know how difficult this is. You don't know how much pressure I'm under. You don't know what it's like to be me. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, but you are you and you've got that title and you're making more money than I am. And you, you, you accepted that promotion. And so nobody... You know, nobody likes working for individuals who do that. And I think that's because they make it about them, not about the organization and about their people. And so I always tried to guard against that. And I think that's where mentoring helps. I had those mentors every now and then say, hey, you know, let's not think I walk around the building. Hey, you know, it's you know, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about the people and it's about the things you're trying to accomplish. And then I think you you have to understand what you it, the things that you have to accept as you grow in those responsibilities. I, Thing that's interesting is I, I was never a good public speaker. Uh, I never enjoyed public speaking. I still somewhat struggle with public speaking. And I don't mean that now people will never sign me as a speaker, but I, I actually, how I got around it, I guess is a better way of putting her is I'm a much better one-on-one -on -one person. And so when I'm speaking in front of a large audience, no matter how large it is, I mean, one audience was probably over 3000 people. I look inside, I look inside the audience and I pick people and I start looking at them and I believe I'm having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. So all of us have those things that we have to overcome. But once you accept, once I accepted that responsibility, you know, to the next level and become a, a vice president and a president and then CEO, I knew that part of my responsibility was, was to work at my communication skills. And if I wanted that next level and I wanted that responsibility, then I also had to accept the responsibility to improve my communication skills, to understand what it takes to be a good communicator, both one-on-one, -on -one, written, and in front of people. And so for me, I worked at that. And so I, my my way of getting around it was I look at the audience, no matter how big it is, and I pick a, I pick a face, and I and people are friends. They'll send me, oh, he did a great job, you know, scanning the audience and, and talking to everybody. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that was my way of overcoming the, the public speaking. I just kept picking people in the audience and looking at them and talking to them. Well, yeah, and I think those of us that do this public speaking is – we find that that's what the audiences really want is somebody who's authentic. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do everything completely right. You just have to be authentic with the audience. And I think that comes through in the, in the trust you have with them. And I think it speaks to exactly what you're saying about, Hey, we need to communicate with people, but we got to make it about them. And that makes absolute sense. However, uh, instead of making it about them, I'm going to make it about you as we close out this this podcast episode, because I think you have a lot of value here. The first thing I want to touch on is your book. I want to give everybody the name of that book again. It's called Tighten the Lug Nuts, The Principles to Balanced Leadership. And, you know, I know you're not going to shamelessly plug yourself, but I'll let everybody know when you look it up on Amazon, it's got five stars. So that's one way they can get more information about this concept of balanced leadership and the principles you talked about, thinking like the customer people feeling like a valued contributor and, and this idea of shared ownership. But you also talked about your, your consulting company and your speaking and the workshops you offer. So how do people get a hold of you if they need any of those services or, or want to ask you any questions? The best way to get in touch with, uh, well, there's two ways I, I would say that work really well. One is our website. It's www. It's the number three and the word 60 management services.com. And then it's simply rockyromanella at gmail.com. So feel free. I get a lot of people email me, you know, they'll hear our podcast or see me at a speaking engagement. And they'll say, hey, you know, this came up. I mean, uh, 
uh, had this incident happen, you know, do you have a minute? And so I, I enjoy that because I think if you can help in any way, I mean, if this book or any of my speaking or, or the leadership training can help someone get through a situation or think about something in a different way or have that aha moment, to me, it's a, it's very, it's, it's what, it's why I do it and why I feel it's a good feeling for myself. Well, thanks a lot, Rocky. And what we'll do is I'll go ahead and put your your website and a link to your book in the show notes for everybody so they can go there and take a look. It's 360managementservices.com. And the book is called Tighten the Lug Nuts. And there is a story in there about how the title came about. So I'll leave that for people. To, to, they'll enjoy the story, though. It's called Tighten the Lug Nuts, the Principles of Balanced Leadership. Great. Well, and they can look for that because on the cover, is that you in that little toy car? Well, it's the interesting thing is it's, it's, it looks exactly like one of my two sons, Rocky and Andrew. And people always ask me, is that Rocky or is that Andrew? And ironically, it's neither one. And people will say, well, why don't you pick one of them? Well, who's going to tell the other one? But one, when I started to design it with the uh, publicist and uh, I was like, wow, you know what? That looks like uh, pretty cool. It's one of, yes, it looks like either one. If you saw both my sons, it looks uh, more like them than me. Okay, well, for everybody out there, look for the cover that has a full-size guy in a suit and a little toy car. You can't miss it. So, <laughs> And I will put the link to 360managementservices.com in the show notes for everybody to be able to get a hold of you. And again, thank you so much for your time. I think it's been a really valuable conversation that the listeners can get a lot from, and hopefully they'll be able to reach out to you for any other information they might need. Oh, and Mike, if you ever get a listener or email you for something, you can always never hesitate to give me a call or email me, and I would love to help any of your listeners. Awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate that, Rocky. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure talking to you and your audience, and I, I hope they find value in our conversation. Great. Thank you so much. All right. So what would you guys think? I think that was a pretty good interview. Rocky had a lot of good information, things that we've talked about before, just with a different flavor. It really is a great concept to think about the roles that we play because what he talked about with this idea of legacy, about this idea of the roles that he's been playing as CEO, as the principal consultant of his of his consulting company, of a grandfather, and then talking about teachers. And we get to see how important these roles are that we play because of the beliefs that go with that role. Because he talked about vision and mission and values and belief systems and the role of the leader in communicating these belief systems. And one of the things that uh, I found really interesting that he said was, hey, when you leave the floor, are they going to keep behaving the way you want them to behave? And that speaks directly to that role of the leader to explain and enhance and put in this belief system that actually guides behavior. Because it truly is the behaviors we assign to those roles when people internalize them and that they become important, that really drives human behavior. Anyway, I thought it was a great interview with a lot of good takeaways that fit with a lot of the things we talk about on the Crucial Talks podcast. So if you ever need to get a hold of me, please visit www.crucialtalks.com. I love to hear from you. Love to come out and speak to your organization if the opportunity ever presented itself. But really, I just want to build this community of people that are interested in what drives human behavior. So thanks again for listening. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.